0: We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever.
1: Because guess what? We're
2: now a weekly show.
0: This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, when you're going through negative experiences, you got to be careful number one, to try to control your destiny, and number two, thinking that those negative experiences sometimes might be happening for a reason or there's going to be some positives that will come out of the back end. So you just got to keep forging ahead
0: Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. It is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives happiness, health, and engagement. We also believe that awareness, I repeat, awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is Teaching Your Kids About Money. And I am excited to introduce you to our guest, Tony Walker, who is a financial guru and author of his latest book, Live Well, Die Broke. Growing up, as a lower middle-class kid of divorced parents during the 60s, Tony had little knowledge or hope of learning about money and how to best manage it. Yet his unique life experiences with family, people and money along his personal pursuit of vast educational opportunities in the field of finance allowed Tony to shape his thinking on the true purpose of money. As a retirement Planning specialist and fiduciary, Tony is the author of six books on retirement and the host and director of the long Stanley weekly TV show, The Worry Free Retirement. In his 35 year career, Tony has personally met with over 15,000 savers, from which he's concluded this basic truth people just want to use and enjoy their money while they still can without the fear of running out of it. Tony's married to his high school sweetheart. They have three kids, two grandchildren, and a 90-pound black Russian terrier named Stella. Tony, thanks for joining us today.
2: Oh, you're more than welcome, uh, Dr. Dan. i been looking forward to this.
0: So tell, tell us about your story. How did you come, If looking back over all these years, how did you come to be in this place of expertise, of interest, and passion about money and helping others save it and grow it? their retirement?
2: Well, first of all, as I hear somebody kind of read my bio, that's always interesting and causes me to reflect. And I would say since uh, I think I understand the purpose of your show, one of the things I would encourage people to think about is life events that occur, especially those events that are seemingly out of your control, Will shape uh, your future a lot. And uh, I think sometimes, even if those events seem negative, sometimes the positives that come out of that are uh, kind of almost crazy. So, if I can mm-hmm. kind of digress a minute and go back, um, yes. I think it's really important to understand my background. So, yeah, growing up in Lexington, Kentucky, I, was, I remember it well. I was 10 years old playing up in the treehouse. And my mom said, Tony, you need to come in. We need to talk. And I thought, well, that's odd. You know, usually that meant I got a spanking or something. What do you mean talk? So, I climb out of the treehouse and go inside and already I see her sitting there with my older brother, Marty, and he's already kind of got some tears in his eyes. And, you know, 10-year-old kid, I don't know what the heck's going on. And so she did the best she could to tell me about her, uh, you know, her and her, my father getting ready to go through a divorce. Mm -hmm. Now, Dr. Dan, I don't know your age, but in 1970, ironically, living up the street from me was a young man named Tommy Douglas. We became, you know, chums, as they used to call us back then. But, Uh, he uh, was the product of divorced parents. In fact, he lived with his mother and grandmother, which was very peculiar back then, and I always thought it was odd, and then I found myself one of those rare breeds, at least in Kentucky in 1970. All of a sudden, I was realizing, wait a minute, my parents are going to split up. Again, that's more commonplace now, but again, back then, in Kentucky anyway, that was really unusual and almost, I didn't realize it might be a stigma then, but you know what I mean? It's just like, this is really weird. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, kind of fast forward a couple of years. Uh, so it, luckily back then, I look back, back to the family dynamics of uh, things. So my grandparents who lived in a small community, they're originally from Lexington, but they'd moved to a small community in Troy, Kentucky, about 15 miles away. And that, that'll shape my future. I'm sure we'll come in back. We'll rewind mm-hmm. back to that shortly. But, uh, fortunately they were there in my life. And I think they were a big stable force. Uh, my father, about three years later, I uh, had an incident uh, between myself and a Little League baseball coach, of all things, and a, a little altercation. So I've seen how that can play out. Mm-hmm. And that uh, he had a pretty high position in Lexington. And that forced him to leave his position. Uh, again, I didn't know all this was going on. Later on, found out there was a court case, and they kept that from me, which, again, I understand. I was a 12-year-old kid when that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had to move to a place called Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, which I didn't know much about. That they had a place called Beach Bend Park. That's all I saw ads on TV. That's all of Bowling Green. It's about 150 miles from Lexington, just due north of Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I helped him move in his U-Haul, his few little things down to Bowling Green. Little small town back then. It's grown since then. It's home of the Corvette, by the way. But uh, huh. anyway, uh, but what's ironic, uh, Doctor Dan, is my mother and I were not getting along. Um, I decided at age 15 uh, to just forge out of my own. I said, you know, I think I'm gonna go live with my dad. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked the town. Uh, decided I needed a change, and I enrolled at Bowling Green High School. And now I'm gonna fast forward real quick and just mm-hmm. to, to just to bring the positive into light here. I met my uh, now wife, high school sweetheart at Bowling Green High School. Had a wonderful experience at Bowling Green High School. Um, and now since then I met her father-in-law who got me in this business in 1984. Uh, we've had three wonderful children and two grandchildren. And I always remind my kids sometimes I'll say, you know, kids, here's the thing about negative events in your life. That if it had not been for my parents divorcing in 1970, you would not be here.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And it allows them, as I'm, you know, I know this is about teaching kids, and I sure have my flops, don't get me wrong, but Mm -hmm. I think it allows us all to remember, hey, when you're going through negative experiences, you got to be careful, number one, to try to control your destiny, and number two, thinking that those negative experiences sometimes might be happening for a reason, or there's going to be some positives that will come out of the back end. So you just got to keep forging ahead and hanging in there, and as best you can, I guess, uh, I'm thankful that for whatever reason I've always had a pretty positive attitude about things. I'm thankful for that, you know, mm-hmm. makeup if you will, and I've always been pretty optimistic. But that's kind of a life lesson as far as starting off, and I think it's important for your listeners to understand that. And hopefully, you know, if they're going through some tough times now, maybe they can kind of see that you got to stay the course. And looking back over that, not that I wanted my parents to go through the doors divorce, but well, even you and I talking, we wouldn't be talking today. There's no way I could say. But right. I probably would have gotten in the financial services business and written a book and had these life experiences had it not been for that one life-changing event in 1970.
0: And uh, and every everything leads to something else, and 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 we we never know where it's going to lead until we look back, right? And we look back on the track, You're right. and and um, and you know, you brought up your grandfather, and I know that your grandfather was instrumental in a number of ways, um. One, of course, relationship and stability and another way related to a concept he taught you that you have uh, taken with you in your in your work.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So my granddad, I'll tell you about him real quick. He was a he was an interesting fellow, but uh, he was born in. Uh, 1914 in kentucky but uh, raised you know uh, in the depression in fact in 1932 when he graduated high school you can imagine the job opportunities you know were plentiful i'm being Mm -hmm. facetious
1: of course Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so
2: he lucked out he bell south back then i think they were called south central bell or something you know change names but i always just say bell south but he was offered a job climbing telephone poles i've got some pictures of him back then but uh Fortunately, and for back then, Dr. Dan, you got to remember, you know, when people got a job, especially with a big company, that was a coup. You know, you, you know, you're coming out of the depression, a big company hires you, you're not out on, you know, indeed looking for jobs. I mean, that, so that was a coup and he ended up staying with that company uh, pretty much all of his life until he retired in 1978. Nice. And uh, I watched that play out. You know, he was the first person I was close to, I was 18 at the time. That retired. And I didn't even know what that really meant. You know, do you think about that. Uh, I was like, what do you mean? You know, Grant, I call it dad all. I said, what do you mean, dad all? You're, you're quitting work. He just kind of man- mentioned that to his wife, Hazel, one day. I said, what are you, you going to do? He said, I'm going to retire. And uh, he came home. I remember one day he had a license plate that says, I is retired. He had a gold <laughs> clock, literally a gold clock. And then a hat with a very rude gesture on the front but I guess mm-hmm. one of his buddies gave him. <laughs> and I think that was, I guess, to wear on the way out. You yeah. know, to your or something. <laughs> right. I don't know. It was hilarious. He was a funny guy. But um, so that was it. Never, ever went back to work again. You know, he sat around. And back then, it was Folgers coffee and Marlboro cigarettes. He was a yep. nice guy. He was an engineer by trade. So he's smart.
0: How old was all he at the time?
2: Car truck. So at the time, let's say he was born in 1914, 78, so uh, what would the math be on that, 64-ish, right? I think that 64.
0: sounds right. Okay. It,
2: yeah. He died in 99. But but the good thing about having him so close with per- divorced parents, I would go down there all the time. We'd spend Sunday dinners down there, and it was close. And even it's, it's strange it may seem, you know, you wouldn't think high schoolers and college kids would want to hang out with their grandparents. But believe it or not, I would drive down there a lot and spend the night. You know, here I was. Uh, not that I didn't party back then, but, you know, I'd sometimes forego going out with the buddies or whatever
1: because
2: mm-hmm. I just enjoyed it. Uh, my yeah. uncle, who still lived there, he was a character. He called it the land of do as you please. <laughs> uh, I just can't explain it. It was just yeah. a cool place. There was no stress, no expectations, uh, very kind people. And, uh, you know, so I'm very thankful for that, too. That And so, again, same thing that allowed me through the divorce of my parents to spend probably a lot more time with my grandparents. And I, and I'm sorry, lots of one point. So when he retired, I, I remember asking him, well, how do you live? What do you live on? And he called it mailbox money. And what he meant by that was the pension that he was to receive from Bell South. It was $750. Uh, literally he would go out every month and the mailbox was out on the side of this little country road. And he would open the mailbox and it every once in a while I was with him when he happened to do anything, he'd smile and that was his check He called it mailbox money. So that along with his social security, believe it or not, now remember that generation knew how to pinch pennies, uh, didn't have credit cards. so He didn't get in trouble, but uh, he lived on that. He lived on his social security mm-hmm. pension, his mailbox money. Mm-hmm. And then that's where I got that term. And I've since trademarked, it is called mailbox money, which we institute and implement for our own clients uh, quite a bit. I'm, Known in Kentucky as kind of the mailbox money guy, that's what they call me around right here because I do a lot of advertising and on TV. But that's and so from a practice standpoint, uh, that theme of mailbox money, the simplicity of that, and under, helping a lot of my clients who are not real sophisticated with money understand that concept of granddad. That's what they'll say sometimes, Doctor Dan. They'll say, "I've seen you on TV, and I want some of that mailbox money." <laughs> that's what they'll say.
1: I like so, well, we uh, we it's do
2: pretty cool.
0: That is really cool <laughs> and. um that's a great. It's a great story, and I just before we move on, I just want to again, um, just pause and, and and the wisdom that you have, uh, Tony, from your life experience, is just for everyone to hear again. What Tony is saying about how you know adv- obstacles are often opportunities, and it's and and Tony's obviously a resilient guy, and as you talk about Tony by a little bit by uh, nature and probably a little bit by uh, your environment and upbringing and. Uh, we, we can't see it at the time, but when things are seeming to be going in a very bad direction or a difficult circumstance or we get a curveball, there's always something that comes out of it. And really, it's about how do we endure it and try to get into our, use our resources and get into that problem-solving mode um, as opposed to kind of just being knocked down for too long.
2: Yeah, I agree. Very well. Yeah. Very well said.
0: So okay I have all these questions I want to ask you. We've got I want to talk about your new book and um why don't we start with your book and then we're going to work our way to you know what should we be telling kids? As as we've talked about you know the premise of parent footprint is you know the way to raise healthy kids is for us to have health ourselves. And we know that one of the greatest stressors um for parents is for many parents is money and security, um, particularly in the face of uncertain times that we're all living in. So um, the idea of living well and dying broke. Um, I love the live well part. So tell, tell, us, about, <laughs> t- t- tell us about this. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so that kind of, that, that, uh, of course, I love catchy phrases, and I love trying to throw people off balance a little bit, and trying to, I love messaging and all that stuff. But yeah, so the die broke part, that always, even my buddies are, you know, I had a gentleman I play golf with a lot, and he said, hey, I saw your book the other day and read it. And he said, I'm not sure if I get it. And I thought, well, you missed the point, John. So die broke, if you think about it, Dr. Dan, it's kind of like that old saying, you know, you can't take it with you. So no mm-hmm. matter what you've got or how much you've got, what I'm saying is you die broke it doesn't matter mm-hmm. all of the right. all of life's journey and the money you don't you cannot take so you got to really start with that premise if you realize first of all if you admit the fact that you're going to die which some people won't admit that mm-hmm. once you get over that and realize i'm not going to be here forever then you realize wait a minute this money i really cannot take it with me now i may try to control it from the grave and set up fancy trusts i used to do a lot of involved estate planning um and that may or may not work you still have to understand that no you will die broke that's it so once you get to the finality of that and realize, hey, you know, then it forces you. Uh, I went through a program called Strategic Coach, and there was a process we went through, and I really enjoyed this, and I put it in the book. And I, your listeners right now. I could do this real quick. It's real fun. If you, do you mind about
1: taking no, food, this do. exercise please real do. quick? Yep.
2: This is, a, this is a, a fun exercise. If you First of all, okay, let's say everybody's listening. We'll admit they're going to die. Okay, great. Then the next thing you do is you say, okay, just pick an age real quick. When do you think you're going to die? Okay, I know it sounds weird, but just for the fun of it, what date? So for me, for some reason back then, I don't know why, I said 79. Okay, so 79, then you draw out a timeline. So right now, Dr. Dan, I'm 60. Okay, so if you think of my life experiences over the last 60 years, if in fact I knew I was going to die at age 79, that means I only have 19 years left on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. That's not that long. So that frames my perspective immediately to say, no, wait a minute, I want to let's focus now on money. I want to enjoy this money before it's too late. But you know what? Yeah, because I grew up lower middle class and came up the hard way and had to scrimp and save, I don't really care about that. I'm going to now start giving some of my money to my adult children, which we have. We recently helped them buy a nice house, allowed my daughter to stay home with our new grandkids. And even my daughter's got some guilt feelings about this. I said, Lacey, you don't need to feel guilty at all. You know, as long as you're responsible and you're raising these kids, and we believe that it'd be nice for you to stay home, and we're going to help you with this house, and also we built an apartment in there for me and my wife Susan when we visited nice. In the in Kentucky. Nice, it's awesome. It is so awesome. And my wife at first said, "Tony, you're going to give them that kind of money?" I filed a gift tax return. A lot of people think you can only give fifteen thousand a year. That's incorrect. Hmm. Filed a gift tax return. We got this house fixed up. And the difference in their demeanor in living in this nicer neighborhood and a nicer house with these two beautiful grandkids, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't trade it for the world, Dr. Dan. I wouldn't trade it for an extra, you know, half a million dollars or whatever it might grow to in some account that I may never use or may not. See what I mean? Mm
1: -hmm. So the
2: here and now, I'm investing in their lives that nobody ever had an opportunity necessarily financially to invest in mine, and I'm going to watch to see how they handle it. So Mm -hmm. for those listeners out there that are boatloads of money sitting around and you're doing all this fancy estate planning, you got to remember, you will die broke. And they may or may not handle that money the way you think they will. So why don't you test them a little bit, give them some now, they probably need it more now versus later, and see how they're going to do. And that's that's the role we're taking, and it's an enjoyable process.
0: I think it's a wonderful way to look at things. And I'm remembering a friend in high school when he bought, he got married actually young for all of us and bought a house before anyone else did. And I remember him saying, you know, I was, we were saying like, Oh, where are you getting this money? He's like, well, my, my dad's help <laughs> my dad's helping. And he said, he basically said he wants to, uh, see us enjoy the money rather than leave it to us when, when he's gone and he can't see us enjoy it.
2: Mm, yeah, I agree with that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so so, how then? I mean, my I was think, thinking about our t- our talk today. I was thinking about just how I, and my wife and I, and how we've talked about money or thought about talking about money with our kids, and it's always this this continuum. It seems of be talk about money, really, you know, really emphasize what money's about, what things cost, and at the same times of not on the other side, not overly burdening kids with too much thinking about money and what things cost and your own um your own financial status and such like how do you how what do you recommend
2: well i mean all these are good questions and i'm, I'm still trying to figure that out i think we're we maybe have taken the wrong perspective on this because you know i've gone through a lot of courses and listened to other people and And fortunately, I've met so many people over the years. You know, literally, we have over 2,500 clients, and I have talked in person with over 15,000 people, probably much more than that. But so I've been able to just listen. And a lot of these people are at or near retirement. So these are people Mm -hmm. that have some of them been around longer than me. And I'm kind of nosy. I've got a degree in psychology. I never pursued Mm -hmm. that, but I love prodding people and trying to just figure out, well, what have you done? You know, so a lot of it's just experience of listening to people. But here's what I think, Dr. Dan, is I try to. Formulate an answer. I think what we're missing is our kids are watching us very closely on a lot of matters. Mm-hmm. And how we handle ourselves and our attitudes, whether it's money or whatever, but this is about money we're talking about. How we handle our money, how we give it away or spend it or enjoy it, or you know, I call it the guilt free, you know, guilt trip gospel, how we don't put ourselves on a guilt trip gospel. I think they're going to emulate a lot of that. So I'll give you one example. So my youngest boy, uh, we, we had an opportunity to play a lot of AAU basketball. He's now 25 now. but And so I was at a point where I would go on weekends and we'd drive all over God's creation playing in all these AAU tournaments. Mm-hmm, and several mm-hmm. young men on the team came from families that had no money. Well, we would book all the hotels and the uniforms and, you know, guess who paid for all that? Me. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't make a big deal out of it. We didn't go get sponsors, but I'm sure Anthony noticed me paying for hotel rooms and paying for this and paying for that. And the way I tried to treat those young men who maybe would have not had an opportunity. And my hope is that what he saw out of that was somebody that cared about people uh, more than he tended to care about the money he was spending on them. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind I'm trying to instill values in them and realize that this money is just a commodity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to use it any way you want to. God gives you the freedom to do that. Nobody needs to put you on a guilt trip gospel mm-hmm. and think about what you're spending money on. Realize it's a, it's a, it's a brief moment in time. You're not going to take it with you and, you know, just decide on how you want to use this money. And I think too many people allow people to pressure them about how they spend money. And I just, I think that can almost be cruel, quite frankly. So mm-hmm. I've just tried to be natural with the money of what I got. I've tried not to be stupid with it. Um, there was times we had no money. You know, my wife hadn't worked as a nurse when I was trying to get my business off the ground, uh, which I was uh, terminated from that business, the family business, and by my brother-in-law, another terrible situation back then, very devastating, but it was probably the best thing could have ever happen to me because mm-hmm. it forced me to go out and start my own business, another one of those, you know, woe is me kind of thing. So I think that's what I would encourage your listeners. Uh, do the best you can, but just watch what you're doing with money. Know that your kids are watching. Uh, think about it, be methodical, try to meet with an advisor that you think cares about you more than they care about your money, and ask them opinions. Of course, you can do that. But uh, just go with how you really feel you need to be handling this money. And mm-hmm. uh, that's I, that's about all I can mm-hmm. tell people. I really can, because it's all different for different people. And I try to be very nonjudgmental when people come into me. Uh, my job is to get this money back to them and allow them to spend it and use it, enjoy it the way they want to. My job is not to tell them to buckle up and deliver pizzas at night or don't do this. That's not what I'm about. I'm mm-hmm. about trying to help them, you know, reasonably get what they want out of life. That's my job.
0: Based on your experiences growing up um, in a, as like you say, lower middle class um, with some adversity uh, and, and having experienced uh, challenges with money or there not being enough, perhaps, what do you recommend? How, like, Do you recommend parents... I guess this is a two-part question. On the one hand, I'd like to know if you think we should be talking directly to our kids about money or actually showing them, as you just discussed as well. And when parents are struggling with money, as many people are with what's going on in this world right now, how do you suggest they manage that with their kids since our kids are always looking and watching?
2: Yeah, that's good. I kind of look back at a time. You know, I know when we well, we only had one child, and my wife was pregnant with the other uh, when we moved back. I tried to work with brief stint in Lexington after I was terminated from the family business. That didn't work. Moved back to Bowling Green. Um, you know, didn't have any money. Uh, fortunately, my father-in-law loaned me some money to buy a house that was not in good shape, so we could try to gradually fix it up. And my wife was working. You know, just had a child and trying to work as a nurse. And I think, well, first of all, let's go to married couples. If there's married couples out there, I think the love and support that the spouses can show for one another uh, as they're going through those struggles probably would carry more weight than anything. I would mm-hmm. think, as I think about that, Dr. Dan, I, I mean, if my wife had not been faithful to say, you know, Tony, we'll we'll kind of get through this and if I need to work nights and sleep in the closet, which is literally what she did, uh, we'll do it. And she and then, and it's funny. I was talking to her about that. Now that I've, guess, if you want to call it financially successful, we don't have those kind of worries anymore. But I talked about how stressed I was back then. It's funny. She says, "You know, Tony, I didn't realize you were that stressed and going through some mm. depression." And mm. I said, "Well, I guess I hit it pretty good." And she said, "And I was preoccupied with the kids." She said, "That was some of the best years of my life." Wow. Wow! So it was really interesting to hear her say that because I figured she was just as stressed as I was. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's that's helpful. I don't know if that even goes anywhere, but that's just how we were kind of dealing with things. And I don't know if our kids. They just knew that we loved them and we were doing the best we could. And, you know, we just did it. You just do life Mm -hmm. together, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's about all I could say, I guess.
0: Yeah. And so when do you think we should teach kids directly about money? Or just show them. Uh, that's what I mean. Because I, I' getting I think, a lot of the showing, and I, I totally agree with that. I'm wondering about should, uh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah, if I had to say that I've taught them well about money, I'd say I probably have not done a good job of that. Now, some of that's the same thing as coaching ball. You know, I've coached a lot of kids, and I've, I mean a lot of games. You wouldn't believe them. It's little league, Babe Ruth, AAU, teenagers. I've coached them all. You know, probably literally a thousand games. I bet I could total up. I did it for years. And, I, and it's the same way, you know. My kids never really did well with my coaching; they didn't listen to me a lot. Other kids would gravitate and just suck it in. They just thought, right. man, this guy's, you know. Right. But so that it, there is something too that I think you have to be careful when you're teaching kids. That's what I say. I think they're more watching you and what you do rather than what you tell them they should do. That's mm-hmm. that's and that's the balance we all. And I've got three kids; they're all different. Like my oldest mm-hmm. boy, Philip, I can tell he tends to listen to me more, and I can teach him better. My youngest son Anthony, when it comes to money, he he does not even want him to talk about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, I've showed him, and he's learned how I've handled money, you know. Um, but but I've never no, i have never. I can't say I would. I'd be lying to Doctor Danovich that I've done a good job teaching them about money. I I probably have not, quite frankly.
0: Mm-hmm. So all right. So what's the lesson from the guru? Are you thinking that? Well, I guess what I'm hearing is that this is totally consistent again with our with our premise of Parent Footprint is, uh, you know, w- we need to be a certain way so our kids can either s- then model that way. Like we, as much as purposeful and intentional as we can be knowing what, what um, values that we want to uh, show them. I mean, that's what I'm hearing a lot just about how you've lived your life. And it's, it seems like that approach has been working as far as you can tell.
2: Yeah, I, well, the key word is values. You know, I, I even have like on my website of my business, uh, I have my 10 resolutions, you know, and those resolutions, now those are faith based. Faith-based. I won't get into that, but it is who I am. And so my father, he is who I am. I mean, I'm part of my father, my grandfather. So all those experiences, I guess that's my psychology background. Mm-hmm. I mean, that stuff is terribly important to remember. And if you can just look at that as and find the positives of what has shaped you, then just be who you are. I think that's the problem. Mm-hmm. I think most people, I don't think they really know who they are, first of all, and then they try to be something they're not. And then they show all these inconsistencies. And I think that's what, like my oldest boy, he turns out now, he's a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and he has a lot of children as clients. And obviously, he doesn't share confidential information. But I said, Bill, let me take a guess. A lot of the kids that are coming to see you that have serious problems, Is there consistency in their home? And, of course, he immediately says, oh, absolutely not. So I think that's where we're really getting at. I think the parents have to look at their own lives, their background, their values, Mm -hmm. and are those being communicated and showed to in some way their kids? Are their kids seeing that? And Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a yes or no question. And if that's a problem, then I think, you know, not that the kids are going to have problems, but that's going to be difficult to reconcile.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for all of us who have the idea of retirement and are thinking, oh gosh, how how on earth am I going to get there? What, what do you recommend to the, to, let's say we have listeners of young parents, uh, middle-aged parents, and even older parents, what, what, what is your strategy, your, your, your way of looking at retirement?
2: Okay, yeah, so I created something called the Worry-Free Retirement Process, and it's a five-step process. And I take everybody through it and we continue, but real quickly, you know, the first step is clarify your vision. I don't think most people even know what they want in retirement. So even like my granddad who raced to accept that first check from Bell South, he, he already had a vision of retirement, but his vision was based on the depression and staying with the same employer and getting that check. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So we did a study on a lot of baby boomers, for instance, and we, we polled them individually in areas like Charlotte and Atlanta. You know, a totally different vision of these millennials coming up of retirement versus us. You know, so a lot of my clients who are now retiring, I always want to ask them, well, what do you want to do in retirement? Why are you retiring? What's your vision for retirement? So once we decide what that is and I understand that, then we move to the next step, which is just basically we assess their situation. So if somebody says, well, yeah, I want to retire and I want to get a home in Florida, and... Well, then the financial part has to come in, and I have to assess whether that's even a realistic goal. And if mm-hmm. it's not, i got to tell them, or if it is, here's how we're going to do it. The third is you've got to have some sort of written game plan, and that's what we help people with. We have proprietary software I created because I realized I needed something that could visually help them see this money and where it would be used and spent, and at what time and how many taxes, et cetera. And then finally, you have to implement the game plan. Um, that's somebody's got to, you got to have the game plan first before you can implement <laughs> it. Right, that's my right. concern. I think a lot of people have these 401ks and they just slap it over in an IRA and there's no game plan. They're drawing money out or they're scared they're going to run out and they're running around in fear or they're spending too much. So you got to have the game plan. Somebody's got to help you implement it. And then finally, with any type of process, you have to monitor it and then reshape it as things go. So, one thing I'll, I'll leave you with this. So, this is hopefully, this is an uplifting comment I'm going to make. First of all, you got to remember the financial world that's giving you the advice has a conflict of interest going in because what they're going to tell you is, Dr. Dan, you're going to need more and more money. So there's a lot of fear built into this planning nowadays because Mm -hmm. people worry about nursing homes and they're living longer and all that's true. But what I've found is we go through phases in life and actually what I call the second half of life. Most people that I see, my clients, now this is what I see, this is real life stuff. They start spending less and less money as they get older. So they won't need as much. So it's back to that enjoying money while you still can. So we go back to that original timeline, Mm -hmm. and let's assume I knew I was going to die at 79. That's only 19 years, and let's assume I know that I'll spend less money as I get older. Why in the world wouldn't I want to spend some of that money now while I still can? Mm -hmm. What good is it going to do me to have all this money and I'm 79 You know, laying in a bed drooling or whatever's going on? So I'm going to take a realistic look at the phase of life you're in, a good retirement planner that really understands those phases and understands the real world is hopefully going to say, you know what, Mr. Jones, you probably don't need as much as you've been taught in Mm. retirement. Mm. So hopefully that's uplifting, not demoralizing. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Ben, there is so much fear, uh, built into so much of what we're uh, living in these days. And, uh, and yes, and we know that um, you have to really be mindful of who's advising you and what their motives are. And uh, so it sounds like you take a very um, realistic, uh, person centered approach to what is it that y- you want and how can I help you get there? And how can I, and I have to tell you if it's not really realistic and where you might have to adjust some of your expectations. Correct. So when it comes to the other thing I was thinking about, as you were talking, is the giving to... Okay, live well, die broke. What do you recommend or how do you think about leaving for your kids and grandkids versus spending while you're alive, as well as giving some away, as you've mentioned, while you're alive? Like, How do you look at that whole... How much is yours and how much should you leave?
2: So that's a real good question. So what I've done, and in my book I talk about this, but I have a three-bucket philosophy. So in my mind, I always have money that's very liquid. Liquidity in our business means I can get at it at any time with very little risk. The best example of that would be, in its simplest form, a checking account, right? Mm -hmm. It's just liquid. You could write a check today. Okay, I like money there. In the second part, I have money in a bucket called the mailbox money bucket. So those are annuities, private annuities. So I have a lot of private annuities, so I know I can kick those in. Anytime I want, the longer I wait, the more they'll be, just like granddad's pension. And they are guaranteed to pay me and my wife, Susan, a lifetime income. Now, we live a long time. There may not be anything in that bucket. Now, for me personally, I do want to leave a legacy. Some people don't want to do this. That's fine. But I want to leave because I worry this next generation is not going to have any money, quite frankly. I mean, I don't know who's going to plan on paying off $30 trillion of debt, but it's a problem. Mm -hmm. So I want to leave them tax-free, cold, hard cash when I die, guaranteed, and the only way to do that is with permanent life insurance. So I have a boatload of permanent life insurance. So I know when me and Susan eventually die, for some reason, if we spend all our money, they're going to get that tax-free check in about four weeks without probate. And that's so they can continue on and enjoy their lifestyle. So that's mm-hmm. how I've planned mm-hmm. my, my, my finances.
0: And, and when you're guiding your clients, is it, is it all individual about what their vision is and what their goals are?
2: Yes, everybody. You know, we've done over four thousand game plans for people. So when I meet with people, the first appointment is what I call the vision exercise. Right. I then have them back in the office for a second appointment where we share our assessment and game plan. I instruct them to take their time and look at that and understand. If that's another thing for your listeners. If they're running to dinner seminars or quickly making financial decisions, I always tell people. I say, you know, it took you forty years to save up this money. And you're letting somebody tell you what to do with it in 40 minutes. That that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So basically, we make sure our clients understand the implementation of how is all this going to work and are we sure this matches up with your vision. And then once that's the case, then we implement everything and we would move forward and handle their money and do everything for them. But that's the process we go through when we're meeting with people. And I would encourage people to be very careful of quickly making decisions because, uh, you know, like I said, there's no do-overs with this. You can make some pretty bad decisions and then you get into later years and it's sometimes hard to, to, to uh, change those decisions or make adjustments, quite frankly. So you have to be very careful on the front end when you retire.
0: What age should someone seek the services of someone like yourself?
2: Well, it would be nice if younger people would do it, but that's back to the, I call it the three halves of life. You have, you know, first half, half time, second half. So first halfers, those are the people that really are, you know, it's like me and my wife, Susan. I mean, I, we were trying to raise kids and pay bills. If somebody said you need to plan for retirement, as much as I knew I probably need to, well, I was trying to worry how we're going to pay for groceries. Right. So it's not that they shouldn't plan for, it, but that's where parents and grandparents can help. So, for instance, little Johnny, let's say little Johnny's 30 and doesn't make enough money to make ends meet. He's barely making it, but he's working. What uh, grandma could do or dad could do is gift. Let's use this as an example. We make little Johnny set up a Roth IRA. Granddad gifts to little Johnny $6,000. That's how much little Johnny can put in a Roth IRA every year because granddad doesn't need that much money anyway. gets it out of his estate so the nursing homes or whoever won't come after it now little johnny can invest 6000 a year tax free forever uh, you know that's the kind of planning to help them but little johnny on their own very few people um are doing a lot of planning so we that's not really our target market our target market are those people retired or nearing retirement because they're the ones quite frankly that begin mentally to get serious about this whole retirement thing so that's that tends to be Around fifty to fifty five is when I see most people start get serious about retirement. Earlier than that, it's really it's mm-hmm. difficult to do that because of all the other pressures of life.
0: Yeah, that make that makes a lot of sense. And and is it ever too mm-hmm. late?
2: No, that's a boy. That's a misnomer. Yeah, because I've had a, I had an eighty year old couple in here the other day that has just had some misfortune and. Uh, this happens a lot. That they, probably in California it happens. You know, there's so much w- wealth built up in these houses, but mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. there's not a lot of assets outside the house. So that you know, right. there's some planning that I I was able to help them with. And then then sometimes you've got to go outside the box. You know, sometimes you may have to do home equity lines of credit and do things to get tax favorable status and get money back. It, I'd have to show you in planning how you do that. But then sometimes you got to get a little creative and think. Okay, here we are. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to do this, or you want to do this, and how are we going to pull this off? Well, that depends on the expertise of the planner. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it mm-hmm. is, yeah. I would tell people, no, it's never too late.
0: Mm-hmm. I was hoping you would say that, and um, and planning on, <laughs> and planning on you saying that because I think everyone just needs to hear that, regardless of circumstances and the roller coasters of life. Um, I mean, it's back to your main point what you were saying about, you know, in all the adversity, the, the things that you never really wanted to happen, um, or difficult times can lead to wonderful places. I mean, here, there's a time when you were worried about paying for groceries, right? Your wife sleep in the closet so she yeah. could sleep at night and you can sleep. And now, as you could say, I'm sure with the deep breath is like one of the challenges that you don't have right now is worrying about money, which is, uh, which is wonderful.
2: Yeah but let me interrupt you Dr. Dan what's interesting the great writer Spurgeon once said money's a funny thing those who have it worry with it and those who have none worry without it hmm. it still comes <laughs> with its worries yep. it's just yep. a different set of worries
0: Yes yes well said Okay as we get uh, as we are approaching the parent footprint moment question have uh, we've talked about a lot today and so if we i'm going to i'm going to push you to squeeze this into one one answer here, if there was one thing, one thing that you would recommend to parents about teaching their kids about money, just one thing, what would it be?
2: Uh, I think the word grandchildren comes out.
0: Hmm.
2: You want me to explain that one?
0: Yeah.
2: Okay, see, for years I've heard this from my parents clients. You just wait till you have grandkids, son. It's a totally different thing. And I thought, well, whatever. So we've got our two young grandkids that we just now have. We've been blessed with these two little kids. And it's funny, now that I'm around them and I watch my kids parent them, I wished I could have taken things a little less serious with my kids. I wished I could have had a little more attitude of being a little more laid back, relaxed, enjoy things. Uh, that's my only regret about parenting, but I didn't know the difference. You know, mm-hmm. so I think as you go through life, the wisdom is you know what there was a lot of little things, Tony, a lot of times you got mad at your kids, you probably should have, but I didn't know better, you know, so I am just doing what I could, but now that these grandkids are here, and just the notion that boy, because of our children go back to my dad's situation with divorce. Not only do we have children, we got grandchildren as a result of this. You know, the blessings just keep coming on and on. It's pretty crazy. So mm. I would encourage parents to really again go back to that live well die broke philosophy. You're not gonna be here forever. Maybe not take things as serious sometimes with these kids as you are and uh, that's 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 the that's probably my one regret or as you say an aha moment, but the aha moment I think came with the birth of these grandkids.
0: Mm-hmm mm. And, uh, and, and the message is just even, it's beyond money, right? I mean, there, there, there's, there's these tangible to dollars, do with money. right, right.
2: No, you right. have nothing to do with money. You know, that, that, and that's what, but yeah. that's what drives everything. So right. The values, the life, the perspective. And what I've found with most people, you, you still have to be hardworking. You have to be smart. What I've found is, and I've met so many people, even people that have worked menial tasks over the years, uh, you know, if you're prudent with money, the money tends to come. I would encourage people that if you're doing the right things and working hard, it may not be as much as the guy down the street, but the money will come. So don't make it as much about the money as it is about really what you want out of life and the values you have with people. And and of course, hard work, you know, and Mm -hmm. being diligent, but but the money usually comes. That's what I found.
0: And and I think we just backed into the parent footprint moment question. I think you just gave us your wisdom. I'm going to ask it to you anyways, and you might just uh, piggyback on what you just said uh because you you just gave us that reflection, and that is you know the parent footprint moment question about a time when you became aware of yourself as a person or as an individual, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your kids or I'm gonna say or grandkids in your case,
2: yeah, do you want me to respond to that or
0: yeah if yeah uh, if you I mean, uh, I think
2: it, well you 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 surmised it I think as well as I could no I just I think that's it.
1: Yeah, just,
2: the the reflection of what I've produced over the years is really the money's had to be along with that journey, but it's not about the money.
0: It's not about the money. How about that, everyone? It's the the finan- the financial guru is saying it's not about the money, and uh, I know it, it it seems it seems uh, hard to reconcile because we all have to deal with money, but in the big picture of life there are so many more we need that basic need and then we also have to find a way to um rise above that need and legitimate worry and be present for our kids um and know that life is fleeting and what what seems what seems and big yeah, in the yeah. moment yeah what seems big in the moment is not always big later often not big later
2: that's right that's right
0: Tony, you are you're a financial psychologist. That yeah, your your psycho your psych psychology background like rings true with your wisdom, and uh, I'm sure it it adds a huge part of why you're so successful as a financial um, retirement specialist. Is because you see the big picture and you uh, help people focus on what's important.
2: Well, thank you for saying that. I try to.
0: Tony, tell everyone where they can find your book. Tell them about your great website. And uh, you have so much uh, resources to share.
2: Yeah, um, well, my business name is Tony Walker Financial. And uh, so you can just go to TonyWalkerFinancial.com. And and, uh, we've got a YouTube channel, so there's a lot. I do a TV show called The Worry-Free Retirement every week. So we put our TV show on the YouTube channel. So you just go to YouTube.com. And just type in Tony Walker Financial, and then we put all kinds of clips on there, and we've got a podcast on SoundCloud. You can listen to former radio shows. So there's a lot of information. I've, I've uh, over the years I've tried to meet with website designers, and they say Tony, the problem with you is you've almost got too much content. You know, they. So we just design our own stuff now and do our own stuff. But. Yeah, so people are welcome to do that. And then the Live Well Die Broke book, of course, that's at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of those. You can get that. And and if they like the book, I would appreciate them, you know, posting a review. Uh, it did hit bestseller list on Amazon. That was back when we launched it. But it, again, it it was really more about a legacy of leaving something behind to hopefully help people think through, like you said, here's a guy in finance and how important it is to reflect on your life. And then I give that to clients a lot. I'll say if you're before you become a client. You know, you need to kind of understand my perspective, because if you and I don't have the same perspective, that's another thing, another lesson that people can learn from this. Make sure you really are quizzing your financial advisor or potential advisor on who they are, because they're the ones making determinations with their money. And if those values don't really line up, you will have problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's nobody at fault, but it's just like a marriage or any kind of relationship. If you don't have similar values to that advisor, I would, I would get another advisor. It's that important.
0: Absolutely. Tony, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. And uh, I'm going to continue to look at your resources as I already have. And I uh, suggest everyone listening does the same. It's uh, a lot of great information. Um, And of course, you now know the person who's giving it, someone who's telling us to focus on what really matters uh, with our kids and our grandkids and what's really important in life and try not to make it all about the money. Thank you, Tony.
2: Thank you, Dr. Dan. It's been a pleasure. You have a good day.
0: You too. And that's it, everyone. That concludes our show. You know the drill. Be the person you want your child to become. As Tony says, they are always watching. It's what we do that matters. It's the values that we instill through our behavior, our actions. Check us out, www.parentfootprint.com. Subscribe to the show. Tell others about it. And as always, ask yourself the guiding question, what footprint do you want to leave?